This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas. Today is some of you are going to love my next guest. Some of you, maybe you're not going to love our next guest. I most definitely love our next guest, Destiny Delarosa, of founder and president of New Wave Feminists, is joining us today. And in fact, she's on right now. I never let people on during the introduction, but but she's a feminist. She supported Beto O'Rourke, so she's going to have to listen to me sell pillows. <laughs> if you, uh, this show is being brought to you by Mike Lindell's My Pillow. And if you want to upset a new way feminist, I think, or an old way feminist or a leftist, the best way you can do that is go to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones. Get the deep discount on pillows. And you know when you're lying on that pillow, when your, your leftist relative comes to stay the weekend, you can give them and you can say, hey, you're resting your head on Mike Lindell's pillows. And it's going to be worth it. So go to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones and get deep discounts. And... This episode is also being brought to you by Epic Times. Go to iReadEpoch.com, use the code Jason Jones, and your first month subscription is only $1. It is the first place I go to every morning, and it's the first place you should go to as well. And as always, our main sponsor, the Vulnerable People Project. Today has been a great day. I'm going to talk about some of what's happened today on the show with Destiny, so I won't bore you with it now, but just know that if you want to stand truly in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world, there is no better way to do it than to become a monthly donor at the Vulnerable People Project. So go to thegreatcampaign.org, give your best one-time gift, and then a recurring gift if you can, which helps us budget and gives us the opportunity to help more people. All right, now on with my interview with Destiny Della Rosa on the Jason Jones Show. Destiny Della Rosa, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for making me be on it. <laughs> making you be on it. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Mike Lindell, you like him? You like his pillows? Okay, here's the thing. I like sleep. So I, it, it doesn't, it, I'm not, you're trying to make sleep political, and I think that's patriarchy. And so as a very pro-nap feminist, I'm irritated that you're uh, making pillows political because I take sleep very seriously. Perhaps one of my top three-tier issues is, is being able to actually sleep. This is amazing. So you admit that Mike Lindell's pillows are key to you getting a good night's sleep. I'm telling you, I have never purchased one of these, but were we gifted some by my Fox News loving grandparents last Christmas? <laughs> and am I currently leaned up against? Yeah. I You're am. currently okay, so leaned up against a pillow? <laughs> this is a scandal. Wait, you are right this now. You, this is scandalous. You are currently right now hugging Mike Lindell's pillows. I, I feel like you took it a little further than it needed to be, but yes, I'm leaned up against uh, a magic pillow. I, I also just turned my air conditioning down to 73 because as a fellow, you know, person here in the Lone Star State, uh, it's welteringly hot. And so I'm just losing all my wokeness credit. I'm killing the environment. I'm evidently caressing um, Mike Lindell's <laughs> pillow. Like it's, I should be canceled. Okay, so here we go. You just, and I, did your grandparents use the code Jones is the important question. 
Obviously, I'm sure they did not. But <laughs> okay, well, those of you listening, you heard it from Destiny Delarosa, Mike Lindell's latest um, <laughs> advocate. Go to mypillow.com. Use the code Jones. All right. So there's that. So you know, you know, you're one of my favorite people. Do you know that? Um. No, but I appreciate it. When you were saying earlier, people are going to love or hate me. I feel like you kind of have a little bit of both. That's our relationship. And it's, it's, it works for us because we challenge each other. This is a good thing. No, no, I really don't. But I, I think you might for me, but that's okay. Like, and I will publicly <laughs> tell people you're my friend. And then my public, my, and you know what my conservative friends say to me about that? What did they say? Oh, I love Destiny Delarosa. Yeah, we oh, love her. But, but if you were to tell your, your you. friends, if you were to no. tell your friends that we're friends, they'd be like, oh. Oh my. Lies, lies. That's not true. Do I go brag about it? Like, maybe not. But do I drop her <laughs> name every once in a while when I'm like, oh, I heard someone say the most outrageous thing the other day? Like, absolutely. And I will say, we've talked about this before. I've had to defend you because somebody did a deep, like, stalkery dive on me uh, six months ago. And they were like, oh, you say you're. And by the way, I, I am solidly independent. I'm only a leftist to you because you're so far right. right. Like, I'm very much in the middle. But they were like, oh, yeah, you say that you're progressive and all this, which, again, I don't, but whatever. But I, I know you're friends with people like Jason Jones and these keyboard warriors who say <laughs> stuff like that. Like, shut up, because when I've got someone who contacts us because they have, you know, their refugee wife in a detainment center and I don't know how to help them, you're the first person I call and you get her out of detainment. So they can shut up because you actually do stuff. Well, I appreciate that. So, by the way, I want to give you some good news. You did contact me recently about someone that was in a detainment center. It's been much harder than we had hoped. It's a Ukrainian family. And um, one of the women is getting out today, by God's grace. So amazing. Yeah, today's been a big day for us. Before we get to the show, I'll just tell you, today is an amazing day. This young woman who did what she was asked, as you know, presented herself at the border because she was fleeing Russia's military made it to the border in Mexico, um, went to Istanbul, from Istanbul to Mexico, and then to the border, and then was promptly put in a paddy wagon and thrown into a jail for several months. She's getting out today. Then there's a young woman that's been in a really horrible situation, very challenging, one of our most challenging uh, uh, evacuations yet. And when all is said and done, this young woman is, is getting to safety today. We started, try- we started the plan to move her the day before Christmas, and today she's getting to safety. And what's unbelievable about this, if I were to lay out everything that's happened on this case, it it's makes the movie Argo pale in comparison. It literally involved a high-speed chase with the Taliban at one point, people going to prison. Um, and But everyone is out of jail, and this young woman is getting out of the country. Today she sent us a picture. I don't even want to say what the picture was of. I sent it to you, right? Yeah, amazing was, picture. Was that picture not amazing? It's, I mean, everything about it's miraculous. It reminded me of Casablanca, like letters of transit. (laughs) So last night I was scrolling through social media. One of the things I love about you is you're very honest about everything, and you're really honest about um, almost everything. But you're, uh, but you're really honest about your your struggle with God. So I'm doing 49 days in a row of podcasting. I wanted to get you on the first week, but you you were on vacation. The first vacation I think you said you've ever taken, so I'm glad you did that. And well, and here's here's the thing: it was it was with kids, so a very wise woman, um, Cheryl and Holloway, with pro black for life. She actually told me when you go anywhere with kids, you're going on a trip, so it's not a vacation; it's a trip. 
Uh, and when you set the standards there, it actually makes everything much more bearable because uh, if you think you're going point. on a vacation with children, you're, you're just absolutely not. But yes, I was definitely out of town that week. So I'm Who glad told that you that you made time for me now. Sherilyn Holloway with Pro Black Pro Life. And oh, I love it, her. It's reframed everything because now my expectation when traveling with children is there will not be no like Mai Tais on the beach type relaxation happening. Absolutely not. It's going to be screaming and meltdowns and everyone being exhausted. Car sickness and, that's, and that's a, yes. food poisoning and sunburn. <laughs> it's like a military <laughs> exactly. deployment. Just say you're going on deployment. We're going on deployment to Disney World. <laughs> We're being deployed to Disney exactly. World. It's going to be rough. We're expecting 50% casualties. We hope to all come back. All right. But I'm glad we pushed it because I want to talk to you about New Wave Feminist and and post-Roe. And I know you have some things that you want to talk about. You're like, I don't know if we should talk about it. I really want to talk about what you want to talk about. Or I really want to talk about what you don't want to talk about. But I also want to talk about um, your post last night because I thought it was very beautiful. And I thought as I was reading it, well, this is my internal dialogue in my head all day, every day, which you might find strange. Um, and I bet a lot of Christians have a very similar internal dialogue of what you so eloquently wrote. And I don't, you don't always pay attention to grammar. I kind of felt like you put this in grammar check. I think I felt like you put this in grammarly. It was just so well written. I thought you knew that this was important, what you were writing. Can you share yeah, with us? I mean, I was going to say shade. Like there was some shade there. I did not. That was stream of consciousness. Did I go back and edit it a few times when I realized that my past tense? Yes, I did. I did. Um, okay. <laughs> so thank you. I'm glad you I appreciate noticed. the grammar. Um, yeah. yeah, it was basically a post. Cause I've been talking to a lot of friends lately. I have a lot of friends in the deconstruction community and I've been agnostic now for five or six years. So a while. Uh, please tell us um, what the deconstruction, explain to us what the deconstruction community is. So uh, if you listen to most pastors, it's this crazy fad of these children who just want to smoke pot and have sex, so they're all leaving the church. But I think it's actually much deeper than that, and it's a lot of people who uh, are, have stepped away from their faith and are deconstructing it. And I would say I started doing that and then kind of just went full, you know, there's probably a higher power out there. I really don't know. I don't have time to focus on it, but at the same time, the level of work that I'm doing and, you know, I'm, I'm a very reluctant leader. New Wave Feminist started as a MySpace page. Like it was never supposed to be this. So I'm in this leadership position and it feels kind of scary when you're surrounded by a lot of ministries and people who have this like ultimate authority they can look to. And then I just kind of have me and my board and we're all kind of weirdos. And so that's a little scary and feeling like, you know, you could be off track and, and so I, in my agnosticism, right, like I, I pray, I talk to whatever this guy daddy thing is that I hope is there, but a lot of times I don't actually know that it is. And um, so I struggle a lot with that. So basically the post is just saying, I feel like, you know, I'm this child who's in, in a room and I know the reality of like, okay, if there's a room, right, it's the watchmaker theory. If you see a watch on the ground, you don't say, oh, look what just happened. If there's a watch, there's a watchmaker. So it points to the existence of something that created us, but is that being actually interacting with us and guiding me? Like I have no idea. And I get these small signs all the time um, to the point where our mutual friend Yvonne thinks that I'm being like some bougie diva. Cause she's like, you get signs constantly. You have stuff that's like, why are these miracles not good enough for you? Uh, but I still tell myself in my head, well, maybe, maybe I'm manifesting them or maybe it's just me misinterpreting something like who knows if, if I'm actually getting this direct connection. Well, can you give saying, us like the best example of, of 
a miracle or because in the work that we do, even like you calling me, I'll tell you what happened today. I was texting someone on an Afghanistan project, something about Afghanistan, a video on YouTube. Unfortunately, I sent, well, fortunately, I sent somehow, I don't even know how, some video on Louisiana. She goes, I don't know, what, what are you talking about Louisiana, Jason? I don't get it. Then I called her. I said, wait, what? Did I pull you into the Louisiana? The, the Ukrainian girls are in a uh, detention center in Louisiana. I said, are you helping with the Louisiana project? She goes, no, but I, I was um, NCIS in New Orleans for like six years, and I'm connected there. With, wow. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. I'm like, do you know judges and bail bondsmen? And I know everybody. I know, I know everybody. So I, I'm like, how did that happen? I, I literally clicked on this YouTube link about a story in Afghanistan, sent that to her, but she got something from Louisiana. And I'm just like, come on. And then now she's no, involved I- in helping us. And with this family, and I'm like, this is just unbelievable. So give us an example, and that happened this it's, morning. So give us an example. Definitely, yeah, no, it's stuff like that. And I, the funny thing is we joke all the time that, like, we kind of F our way up into, like, all the good stuff that happens, whether it's, you know, getting kicked out of the Women's March or even the fact that a teen pregnancy is the reason that I started New Way Feminist. Like, I have all these little things where it's, like, in me screwing up, something really great has come from it. But I would say the latest example, we're working on a – shelter in Mexico. We're building a consistent life ethics center in Juarez, Mexico right now to help migrant moms and uh, pregnant women down there. And we've had, it has been this very turbulent up and down. We found the perfect place that was an old U.S. embassy actually. And so we, you know, we're a group that maybe has 20,000 bucks on our bank, in our bank account, like on a very good day, right? But we find out that this facility is for sale for $300,000. And it becomes like, okay, this is a wild dream. There's no way we could do this, but we'll see. And so when we're walking through the facility, touring it, it's perfect for our needs. We want to have a health clinic side and then, you know, that serves the community and then also the shelter for the women and children. And the back room of this thing that used to be like a consulate or embassy, there's this huge mural on the wall. And I'm still not sure if it was like Jesus walking on water or a lot of people said they thought it was Stella Mars, right? Which is this Marian... Uh, I don't even know what y'all call it because I'm not Our Catholic. Lady of the Catholic, Ocean or Our Lady of the Sea? Yeah, so she's like this guiding star, right? And the whole thing is people look to the star and that's how they find their way home. So it's a very like nautical themed thing, which we're new wave feminists, so that kind of made sense. And so I was just like, oh, this is a really cool kind of coincidence. And then we start having all of these strange Stellamaris things happen. Like we had a logo for our work down there. Unbeknownst to me, there's a Stellamaris in our logo because it's something that the migrants use. They, um, there's all this symbolism around them figuring out their best path uh, to safety and to migration. And so the Stellamaris symbol, that kind of compass star is a really big deal. So anyway, long story short, uh, the other facility ends up completely falling, falling through. Like we realized that it might've been a scam. We weren't really sure, but we're like, all these things led us here. Like what is going on with this? And it was really, really frustrating, um, and it kind of made me realize, okay, I, I made up all these signs. Nothing was actually leading us in this direction. This is just me so desperately wanting to be connected to some sort of higher power that I manifested all this in my head. And so a week goes by, and we start looking at new facilities. Because by the way, somehow, that's the real miracle. We raised $300,000, so now we have to buy a shelter. I guess it's not going to be that one, but we have to buy one. So we start touring other facilities and we, we see this one that we didn't even want to see. It was like a giant house 
And I'm like, no, we're looking for like, you know, old banquet halls and places like that where we can keep a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> so we go out to this property we didn't want to see. And we find ourselves being like, oh, yeah, this type of wall. This is what we're going to need at the one wheel. Was get. this the trip this that you of- said it was very dangerous? You wanted me to join you with on the trip? Um, no, no, this was, this was one right after that trip. Um, we were looking at comparable places to make sure that the person we were investing in was good. And we literally found buildings with like animal cages in the back where women were kept. And so it was really, really horrifying, but, um, this is the one right after that. And so we ended up going into this house and it was just, it was everything even had a whole separate unit built on for like our clinic area, like it was the nicest place I've ever seen in Juarez. Um, and this man had built it for his family. The idea was that his kids would get married. It would be multifamily living. And then one by one, they got married and all kind of moved away. And he and his wife realized that this was too big of a, you know, kind of compound, honestly, for them. But it was built with so much love and care. And so as we're walking around, one of the rooms had like this architecture, just phenomenal that he custom did. And it was like waves on the ceiling. And I was like, oh, man, like waves, like we may feminist again, like this kind of nautical theme, this makes sense. So I was like, I feel good about this. I think this might be it. But I needed that just like final confirmation. We walk up to the entryway and there's all these mop buckets that were that were there. And all of a sudden, Karina, my partner, like moves one of the mop buckets out of the way. And she's like, oh, my gosh, that's me. And I look down and there is a huge Stella Maris like compass star right on the entryway. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I immediately burst into tears because it was like this guiding star. It did feel like it was guiding us to the exact place we were supposed to be. And had we not looked at that other building, we wouldn't have raised the money, right? Like you look back and you see this tapestry woven together where it's like, I have to be interacting with somebody. Like these coincidences are just too crazy. But also, I don't know. And so, so then, yeah, but I then just, you were really eloquent. So those are these miracles that you have. It's like, God, what is that? And maybe if someone's listening, I think when these little miracles are like love letters from teenagers in a way, like when you share them out loud, they seem maybe kind of cheesy when someone else tells their story. But when they happen to you, they're very, very profound. Um, so, but then you were very eloquent in your post on Facebook yesterday, which I think I'll cut and paste and put in the show notes about why even with this happening, you have trouble really believing that there is God or that he's benevolent. I think it's, it's, I have this appreciation and it happens enough now that I'm able to say, okay, when I get these symbols, they, they tell me I'm on the right track. They tell me to keep going, but it's still something very different than love. And so, so many, you know, believers that I know will talk about like, Oh, I love God and I have this amazing relationship with God. And to me, it's this distant father. And one of the people actually in the comments made a really interesting point that, you know, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 19 years old. And my bio dad, uh, basically my grandfather told him either marry her or get out of the way so she can kind of start anew. And he decided to leave. So I don't know if it's like this daddy wound of like having an absent father. But when I feel something, even in a spiritual realm, that feels like there is this force kind of watching me, but pulled away, like, I feel kind of angry about it. And so again, I'll keep listening to the signs and I'll keep doing what I do. But someone shared with me a while back how Mother Teresa evidently had like 50 years of a dark night of the soul. And it made me cry. I was so frustrated. Have you read her diaries? Have you read her diaries? I haven't because honestly, I think it would add 
to my anxiety because I have nightly panic attacks. Basically, I don't tell a lot of people that, but like, well, don't worry, no one listens. Of, no one's listening. Yeah, okay. yeah, nobody, nobody listens to your podcast. Uh, but I have this fear of like, okay, is the earth going to spin off into the sun? Like, what's even holding us here? Like, it's definitely like a control thing for me, and not feeling completely connected to something. And so I was like, but just fake it till you make it. You know, a lot of other people who evidently talk to God, like maybe it's going to happen for you one of these days, you're going to have this. And then hearing how Mother Teresa had 50 years of this is just After Jesus appeared to her. After Jesus appeared to her. Well, okay, here. So Jesus, if you're listening, if you appear to me, I swear to God, I'm not going to do it that way, okay? Like, I'll immediately believe No, but you will. But I, no, but see, sometimes I think these dark, oh, no, sometimes it's not that I don't think. Um, dark nights of the soul are blessings, right? Um, I think dealing with depression or if you're struggling with bipolar disorder or addiction or adultery, whatever's going on in your life and your family, they're, 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 they're beautiful opportunities to develop empathy, right? Um, and so mother Teresa, by the way, my daughter was in, in college getting her degree in theology when that story broke. And I don't know, maybe she was, she was still in high school, but, uh, about mother Teresa having a dark night of the soul. And her religious ed teacher was a nun who didn't wear a habit and who hated the church and made a big, you know, mocked Mother Teresa in class about it. And my daughter said, well, maybe, you know, cleaning maggots out of the wounds of children every day for 12 hours a day could lead one to have a dark night of the soul. And it's to be expected. Mm -hmm. But she never ceased loving God and loving her neighbor. And that's what we're called well, to do. And that's the thing. I can see the beauty of Mother Teresa's story because even though she didn't have that confirmation, she was like, I'm still going to do what I feel called to do. And I don't think that any of the humanitarian aid I do comes from as, you know, benevolent and wonderful of a place as, as hers. I do what I do because I can't not do it because I, I can't sleep at night knowing that these injustices are happening and I've done nothing. And so it's not like I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing, but I do think that, yeah, and this is, I haven't said this out loud. I want to be able to die well one day. Um, and I think that my fear is, especially with the work we're doing in Mexico, back when I was a Christian before I left the church, I was never afraid of death because I knew there was something, I, I like knew there was something better on the other side. And when that's taken away from you, when you lose your faith and everything comes into question, I don't think I'm going to be able to die well. And I think that there's a chance that I could at some point with the work I'm doing and just the peace that I would have and the boldness I would have and the ability to do the work better if I knew for sure, just 100% certainty, I think I'd be more effective. And so that's, that's my plea for whatever's out there in the universe. Like, and here, this is a crazy thing. My stepdad actually said, I think you're at the point where maybe you just need to see a demon. <laughs> Whatever, I'll take it. It's, I told him it's like an epidural where you never want to get a giant needle stuck in your spine until you're in so much pain that that actually seems like relief. And at this point, like any supernatural, I can't explain it away thing, like show it to me so I can believe something. But I think if uh, Satan's real and demons are real, then they've heard me say that and they're like, Biatch, we're not going to help you find God by showing you ourselves. So maybe I just have demon repellent now. I don't know. But I, I feel like I just, I need to see something tangible to know for sure so uh, that I can be as effective. As let I me be. touch you and see if you are real. Who said that? You know better Please than me. Don't ever touch me. Um, no, who said that? Let I, me touch you and see if you're real. Harvey it's Weinstein. My favorite song. Oh my gosh. You're spot. 
Who said it? Thomas, the doubting Thomas. Couldn't believe. He said the, oh. the, the resurrected Christ, let me touch you and see if you're real. It's my favorite song by Kirk Franklin. And then did he did he stop doubting after that? Yeah, and then he and then and then he was rewarded for ceasing to doubt. Um he built churches across Iraq. I've been in some of them and then went to India and I think they either clubbed him to death or threw him off of a tower. So maybe you'll be yeah. clubbed to death or thrown you know off what? a tower. He was able to die well. He was able to die with peace because he knew for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was something there. So I don't know how this turned into a theology podcast. I actually no. thought we were going to talk about Rome. No, we will. But no, but I just, I, because this is really interesting. To, what I, I love is that you expressed this longing. By the way, so many Christians have as well. When I was an atheist, this is weird. I want to get to your father thing. But when I was an atheist, I... I wanted to prove that God did not exist, right? So I wrote like my three goals when I graduated college. One was seeing the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and the other was um, to destroy the Catholic Church. I was a militantly anti-Catholic, Anglophile, pro-life libertarian. So I was a little nuts. And I wanted, I worked very hard at proving God didn't exist. And it was through reading Nietzsche, Sartre, and Freud that the world of values and human dignity just kind of evaporated around me. Then I desperately wanted to prove or a revealed religion was true. And the first religion I looked to was Islam. And I read the Quran first. Can you believe that? I was so anti-Christian. And then um, I was like, no. And uh, then I started reading the Jewish scriptures and then the New Testament. And that led to me eventually assenting to Christianity. At first, kind of half-heartedly, I guess I was kind of a Straussian. I was, I will uh, try to believe that this is true. Um because it, it gives a transcendent reference point for why we shouldn't hurt weak people or it has an explanation for human dignity. But eventually I came to unshakingly believe it. And so now as a theist, as a Christian, as a Catholic, I grope not to believe in a way. Let me explain. Like I will really wrestle to have moments of disbelief. I want to empathize and remember what it was like to be an atheist so I can be better at communicating the faith. What's strange is that I can't, right? Like I will lie in bed and I can make myself believe that Christianity is not true. I can say, I can get myself there. But then I end up with like a platonic cosmos with one God still. But I cannot imagine, as you wrote in your article, that, that I cannot imagine that there's not an intelligent creator. As an agnostic, I mean, are you sort of there where you believe there's some transcendent truth but what it looks like you're not sure of or are yeah, you I mean, or, I mean, or, or do you believe that potentially this is just a material universe without a transcendent personal intelligence at all? Something, I mean, the level, the degree of science that exists and it, there is no way this just happened. Like the proof is all around us of something. Now that it just fart us off and then fly into Like, here's the thing. I've actually been really messed up this week with these web posts that have come out showing the vastness of the universe. And that's part of my anxiety fuel. Interesting. Like, I had a friend that he would look at my college roommate, Olympic boxer would look up into the stars. He couldn't look at the stars every time he would have a panic attack. Yeah, Which no, probably the is the appropriate I, response. <laughs> it's probably the appropriate response to that reality. Well, right? that's the thing. I looking, looking at the stars freaks me out. I mean, all of it, I think it just shows me how little and insignificant we are. And a lot of times, I think doing the work that we do, you know, in Uganda or Mexico and seeing the carnage and the horror, like it does feel like something created us and then just pissed off. Like 
that's very much what it feels like. And so then, you know, I start thinking about Catholicism, right? Like, well, maybe that's what saints are for. They got left behind to babysit us. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. See, but you keep thinking about it. And that's, to me, even though, like, you left your faith many years ago, it's as if you've never stopped grap. You're wrestling. You're not deconstructing. Don't use those. those that's a lame word. You're, de- you're wrestling with your creator. You're, re- you're wrestling with the transcendent universe, which, well, is, and I think which the by the way, is reason- appropriate, right? It's not normal. I think most people just la-di-da, and I want to be like, yo, you are a speck on a little rock yeah. spinning around the sun, flying through the cosmos. Act like you know it, but they don't. <laughs> like, I'm well, like, pay attention think, to that reality. The alternative of atheism, I feel like, is the epitome of a Napoleon complex, because you are a speck. You are a nothing. So to sit here and think you're dumb little pea brain that, you know, 200 years ago, we couldn't have even envisioned, like, we're jets, and you're going to sit here and say that you know that there's nothing out there, like, it's a complete lack of humility to me. So that's where I do find myself in a place of agnosticism that, you know, I tell people I go to the church of, I don't know. I don't know. Anything could be possible. I don't know. But once anything's possible, everything gets really terrifying. I will say I tried to dabble in atheism over the summer, and that was a dark, bleak, I, I don't know how people do it. I Either they're not thinking about it enough, or they have nerves of steel that, like, I will never understand. I I don't think I could ever go that far. So, yes, I definitely believe there's something put us here. Now, is it actually interacting with us? Does it actually care about us? I have no idea. So going to, you know, I, I actually went to my first Protestant church uh, a couple weeks ago because my husband's like we need to get the kids in something even if they reject it later just something and listening to this like you know hippie loving wonderful message about how jesus loves us so much it it i literally okay here disclosure i faked a coughing attack and stepped outside and i did have to cough but not as bad as i made it seem because i didn't fake a cough you exaggerated you you put a top hat like oh that covid i gotta go I was so annoyed listening to it because it's just like, that is not my lived experience. That feels so different. And this bubblegum God type thing that all these other people are able to put their faith in. Like, I'm jealous. I'm desperately jealous of people who can just be spiritually lobotomized and believe in anything. And, you know, my husband, he's like, just stop thinking about it. And I don't know if he just has never had ADHD or what, but not thinking about it. Literally, I would need a surgical procedure for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think you just, you, once you start thinking about it, you wonder. It's like you leave the matrix. But, you know, these people, yeah. Karl Marx called, um, again, I want to get back to your father thing, but but Karl Marx called religion the opiate of the masses. But he did not mean that like a dangerous, addictive drug that you're going to die from with a needle in your arm. What he meant was, he meant it as a good thing, like that religion, gives you peace. not that I'm advocating Karl Marx, but yeah, he, he said that, <laughs> that, 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 uh, you know, I'm having on your show. I have to. I have to clarify that. Um, the uh, yeah, he was saying I, that. Look, like, the masses suffer. This, huh? I'm going to clarify you're a Marxist. I said when I share this, I'm going to clarify that you are a Marxist. I was a Marxist in eighth grade for else. six months, and then I became a Buddhist. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, true. I, agree. I, I went I from agree Marxism to Buddhism. At one point, it definitely it is a piece, a piece mm-hmm. that is beautiful, and it's honestly why I am reluctant sometimes in detail about my faith journey because I don't want to rob other people of that piece like if you're able to just 
believe very easily, then good for you. That's beautiful. I don't want to kill God for you. Um, and so I always try to walk that fine line. But if gift, uh, we believe, I believe as a Catholic Christian that uh, grace is a gift. And so you're not going to be able to shake it. I would never, I think if you're a Christian and you run from unbelief, you're not securing your belief. I, I understand like the work I do is really become over the years animated by my desire to want, you know, I, the idea for hero, which VPP and movie to movement are programs of came. And when I was an atheist pro-lifer trying to create an organization that fit my worldview as an atheist libertarian, then I became Catholic and of course had reworked it around Catholic social teaching. But as the years have gone on, really, I see that the main job that I do is that scandal violence is the biggest stumbling block for someone in God, right? Whether it's, it's, you know, war or abortion or rape, this kind of violence makes it really hard, I think, for people to believe in God. So I want to take that stumbling block and stand on it and try to show people that God loves them. So maybe these pastors that to you and I, and I would say, I agree, I would listen to it. And when I was an atheist, I would see them as manipulating people that are stuck in drab lives and trying to make them feel better. Like, you know, they, they were the opium for the um, cubicle workers. And I would, I would just shake my head at it and I'd look at the people as naive. But now maybe it is important that people know that their creator loves them and that they're loved. And it, it's not cheesy, but again, it's like reading a love letter from someone else to another person. You read it and you're like, oh, that's so cheesy. But when it's directed at you, you know, it's edifying. But back to your dad. I don't want to slip away from that. Um, they say that your relationship with God is modeled after, or your relationship with God is modeled after your relationship with your father. So your relationship with your father is sort of going to how you feel about God. So then it would make sense. Like my dad, my parents had me as teenagers. My dad joined the army shortly thereafter, really wasn't in my life till six. And, you know, when I left home at 17 and joined the army, he didn't call me for a decade. So not that he didn't love me or that he was cruel or vicious. It's just like, you know, he had other things going on. He never thought in 10 years to call me. So um, I feel like that about God. Like I feel like the church is this army moving across a plane, and I'm about a mile away in a, with, with a little poncho sleeping in the rain, but I can see the church, and I'm, I'm moving with them, but I'm not really a part of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And now, I think that... I think that there's also, I, it's interesting because growing up Protestant, like we would bring Mary out, you know, every Christmas and talk about teen pregnancy and then put her back up after that. But being surrounded by Catholics, you know, in the pro-life movement, I have a new appreciation for Mary. And I also have wondered, like, if that has to do with the fact that for me, that feminine genius is kind of easier to connect to. And I also think that when it comes to the work we're doing at the border, like, of course, it was a Stella Morris. And of course, that's what we're seeing is, you know, if anybody understands the fear that these pregnant women are going through, not knowing where they're even going to deliver their child, you know, and having no shelter and having no food and clothing and basic stuff like that, like it's, it's going to be Mary, like that's the heart of Mary. And so I've definitely kind of explored that more. And it terrifies my whole very Protestant family um, <laughs> because y'all worship idols. I don't know if y'all know that in the Pope's the Antichrist. So no, my, my line is fact- we don't worship Mary. Come on, that's ridiculous. We worship uh, <laughs> statues of Mary. <laughs> Duh. Duh. So I right. think that 
know what I you're talking about. I just think it's been about. kind of it's been beautiful to explore that, to explore even the saints that, again, growing up Protestants, like we had Ruth and Esther, but as far as like all these like badass female saints and stuff, um, I find, I, I find it really interesting. But again, it's something where it's like these can, you know, like you said, it's love letters to other people. And so it's interesting when you read it and historically, like it's nice. And if they're out there, please help me, you know, find my, my keys. St. Anthony or whatever you're supposed to say like I'll, I'll do all this stuff I at this point I'm appropriating Catholicism because I have so many friends who give me Catholic medals and like I wear St. Benedict on me and stuff because demons like I, I told you before, Catholicism. I, well I've told you before we joke about this right that like I believe in Satan probably more than God at this point because I see the evils of the world so that's my one religious thing right now like I don't mess with dark shit like get your tarot cards and Ouija boards away from right? me I don't well, it's just weird dark. right yeah, it's weird. Even yeah, when I was an atheist, just... I was hostile to to all of that. <laughs> I remember that when I was in the yeah. army, these guys had a Ouija board, and I was like, I grabbed the Ouija board, and we were we were literally on a high alert, about to be deployed to a combat zone. These guys bust out a Ouija board. Well, like they take the pay phones. This is when we had pay phones. They took the pay phones off the wall and locked us in the barracks, and uh, we had to pack all of our stuff and get it on planes and go back to the barracks and. You know, these guys have Ouija boards. I'm like, guys, this is not the time to be breaking the Something first commandment. And I'm an atheist. <laughs> yeah. Like, look, break the first commandment when we get back from where we're going. Don't break the first commandment you're, now. You're literally the definition of there's no atheists in foxholes. No. Literally I, I realized I was never an atheist. Um, I was anti-theist. Yeah. I was just like, you know, I, I think I've shared this with you before. My favorite quote from Mark Twain is, an agnostic is an atheist who's afraid to say it out loud because then God can hear him. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. I like I said. I don't. I don't know how people are strong enough to be atheists or stupid enough to be atheists. Like that's just kind of how I feel. Like either they literally are just nerves of steel, or they're not thinking about it. Because I don't. I don't get that part. There's too much evidence. Either we're in a simulation, which if we are, then even somebody created the simulation. Or yeah, I believe that before doing, atheism. Yeah. I believe in aliens before atheism. I believe then we're in Elon Musk's laptop on Mars before I believe in atheism. Yeah, yeah this is actually how I realized I failed my oldest. We were I tried to get him to talk because like, I just want my kids believe in anything. Try to believe in something. I think it is the you know opioid of the masses or whatever. Like it is something where it's going to um, help you along the way if you believe in something. So I was trying to talk to my 21 year old about this, and he said. I actually believe the theory that Jesus was an alien from another planet who came here. Like this was the starter planet. Cause they had messed up their planet or were some experiment <laughs> and they dropped us here. And I was Ugh. like, please don't believe that. I mean, just, your son is, I mean, no offense to anyone listening. I mean, it kind of sounds like LDS. <laughs> Maybe a LDS, so, yeah, a little, little Scientology. Scientology is making it up. Is That's Hey, but you know what? <laughs> that's makes more sense than atheism. Like I sit there with my kids, yeah. my kids, we have these bizarre, con I'm like, Kids, I'm like, guys, human digestion. That's weird, right? Like, I want to talk to God about that. How we reproduce is weird. You want to talk to God about pooping? So there's actually- I do. I want to talk to God about, I, I have diarrhea. I have IBS, yet I can write poetry. <laughs> what kind of being am I? I don't understand. <laughs> None of this makes sense to me. So I would go with Ryrie's theology. He talks more about the tear ducts. Like when it comes to evolution, we have adaptations, but how would we have a tear duct explain that? Because either an intelligent design 
you know, put a tear duct there so that we could develop eyeballs at some point, but their eyeballs wouldn't work without a tear duct and vice versa. So like, how did that get there? It doesn't make sense. So the giraffe's would, neck. That's, the giraffe's neck. I became an, a theist reading Stephen Jay Gould and Darwin. because I'm like, this is just crazy. How could I claim to believe yeah. this? Do you know the about the giraffe's neck? Jump Do you know the giraffe's neck? Um, no. Is it just, I mean, I would think that would be an adaptation, right? That's how they well, get check it out. It has a heart that is huge. It needs a huge heart to pump blood to its brain up that long neck, right? But um, there's a valve that stops the blood from blowing its its brain out, right? Because when Which it, is always because there. when a giraffe bends down to drink water, if there wasn't that valve, his head would explode, right? Like literally, his brain would explode. So there has to be a valve. Well, but then that every time the giraffe tried to drink water, guess what would happen? It would faint. So there has to be a sponge that holds blood that can f- nourish the brain while the giraffe bends over to drink the water. Hmm. I mean, how does, what comes first? The neck, the heart, the valve, yeah. the sponge. And so, yeah. Well, that's the thing. People, people jump through these hoops to make these things possible, right? But the example of the, if you had a million monkeys in a room with a million typewriters, how long would it take for one of them to type Hamlet? Right? Like, it's just, Things can't be that random and yet make so much down to the millionth, you know, point zero, whatever, like for everything to be working in our system, in our universe, all of it, like something has to have created that. Yeah. Our brains just aren't capable of knowing what it is. Yeah. Through your work, which leads you to anger at your creator, you see girls in cages in Mexico that are being sold and raped. And so you're like, how could you be good and allow that, right? I don't, I don't even know that that's my frustration because I've seen, even in the most horrific things, like, like back when I was a Christian, I used to believe that like death was mercy, right? Like actually like children dying, they're going to paradise. Something better is happening. They're not having to suffer here. Like maybe this is purgatory. Like, I don't know. I had all these weird beliefs about that. But even in, I had a case of an 11-year-old girl who had dwarfism, so she was the size of a four-year-old, sexually assaulted by the uncle, becomes pregnant. Like, we're having to figure out, like, if we terminate her pregnancy or if we induce, like, how we can do this. And we're we're a pro-life organization paying her medical fees. And because we're doing that, like, I got put in some level of authority because she has severe autism, so she can't decide herself. Like, by far the hardest case that I've ever had. And um, it was such such a difficult thing to see any goodness in right like and I used to be such a Pollyanna person one of my favorite quotes which are like this is the Ronald Reagan quote where he says there must be a pony in here somewhere and it's basically when you see a huge pile of crap rather yeah, than be frustrated with that yeah be like where's the pony something good's happening I'm always good at finding the pony and this was the darkest situation and she ended up um losing losing the child and so she got malaria right before we were getting this you know invasive kind of sonogram to figure out how far along because the child also had dwarfism might be far enough long that we could at least attempt a delivery and see if the child could survive like we were you know talking to ethicists and doctors and 
all these people trying to figure out what the most ethical thing to do was. And then she gets malaria that week and the child ends up passing away. The child in the child's womb ends up passing away. So we didn't have to make that call. And I was really glad because I would have second guessed whatever decision we made for the rest of my life. But it felt so dark, so dark. And I was in Utah. This is when I was trying to, this is what got me close to atheism, honestly, um, because it was, it just felt so evil. And I was laying in a hammock looking at the stars and had a full-blown just panic attack of like, I, I think you're the yin-yang. You know, I think like you're good and evil and this God that's all good. Like, I don't even know if I believe in that because I'm just seeing such vile evil. And I almost like wanted to jump off the side of the mountain. Like it was a horrible, horrible time. Um, and that's when I realized so many atheism death. Like I, even the smallest mustard seed sliver of hope is better than atheism for me because I would not take up any more time on this earth if I believed that it was true. Um, and so after this all happened, I was talking to a friend about it and I was just like, there was just nothing redeeming. Like this is just the most horrific thing. You know, I'm like getting videos of this girl having to be induced, this baby, this child, you know, with this pregnancy that was never going to come to fruition and just the violence and the horror of it. And she said, you know, if she wouldn't have gotten pregnant, she would have stayed in the shack with her uncle raping her every single day. Like that's what would have happened. But because this turn of events happened and she did conceive. And so he saw that she started showing immediately abandoned her. She wanders out into this village. They get her to the foundation that we work with in Uganda. Now she has this support system of people who love her so much. Like, like she is their child, right? we, are paying for her to go to school right now I get videos from her she calls me mom like it's just the most precious human being and so I've been able to see the progression of it that really this did change her life for the better but it was just the most horrific thing and way for that to come about and it does feel unfair and it does feel just so dark and terrible and I can't imagine a fully good God allowing stuff like this to happen but at the same time I understand because this is a very messed up world and we do have free will sometimes the horrible stuff is the only way that the good stuff like there can be room made for the good stuff right like I try to justify it in my head so I don't know that that's what keeps me up at light it's more literally just the the sense that I'm a child stuck in this room trying to communicate with this parent who threw a door Every once in a while might say something to me, I think, but I'm not even really sure if it's I'm hearing my parents' voice or the wind, right? And if you're the most powerful being in the world and I am panicking and saying, please let me see your face. Please just let me know for sure that you're here and you are choosing to withhold that from me. That feels like an abusive relationship. And I wouldn't, I'm a parent. I would but God, never can I tell you, I think God shows that. his face to you more than anyone. Let me tell you why. And he knows he's doing it too, because God shows you His face in those women that you serve. That He is showing you His face when you go to serve those women. And we can only choose, right? God can either give us free will or not. I I have two questions for God. Like I'll say, God, why did you create creatures like us with free will? And if He gave us free will, couldn't you give us irresistible grace like you gave Mary? You know. So those are sort of my two. But then. And not because I suffer, right? We were joking, you and I, we live pretty beautiful lives. 
You know, we were joking on the phone that our children are literally the Elon Musk of kids because they have the Elon Musk jobs of kids, like they're lifeguards in Texas. Yeah. So my question is always, God, why don't I suffer? Why, why do people? Why are people better than me suffering? I just saw today my friend's wife. He's one of the greatest men I know, and is I love his wife. Uh, his wife's getting surgery. I didn't even know when this happened for brain cancer. And I look at, you know, well, God, I feel, I call it not the problem of pain, but the problem of the cream. I live in the cream of life. And like you said, but that's why I think it pushes us to share the burdens of others. Um, and there will come a day where you and I have a stroke or get hit by a bus or whatever. Your IBS gets so bad, like your <laughs> IBS. Well, you know what? It's, it's my wife says, she goes, you know, when you always say you have the easiest life of anyone you've ever known, she's like, write it on paper and then share that around to people and see if they think that's an easy life. But I can just tell you is how I've experienced my life is of nothing but one beautiful event after another. Just ceaseless beauty. But what's interesting is a lot yeah, of times we, we always find the ponies, right? So I think you get to see the ponies all the time in the piles of crap that you sift through. Yeah, is that why I smell? That is the, the idea. It's the, oh, oh, by the way, you know, I mean, in Louisiana, we were in New Orleans. <laughs> Bring that up. Where did we, we both got food poisoning, right? And I had to yes, sprint. Oh, we wow. We just lost half the little, audience. What? <laughs> we went to that little place in the French Quarter and we felt bad because we were just drinking like sodas and we're like, we need to order food. And so we got six shrimp and you ate five of them and I only ate one. And they were just, they were just us feeling bad for the wait staff by not ordering Because we just wanted so, Coca-Cola, right. So we're like, oh, we'll order That's all we wanted because it was hot. And then we're on the way back and my husband calls and I'm on the phone with him about rebooking a flight. We were all stormed in or whatever. And you look at me <laughs> like, I'm about to poop my pants. And you just take off running down the street. And <laughs> like, this whole doom falls over me like, no, I ate what you just ate. <laughs> and then you call me at like, 11, this is like 3 in the afternoon. You call me at 11 p.m. and you're like, hey, what's up? I want to... Want to go grab some food? And I'm like, have we both been peeing out our butts for the last like seven hours? Is that what just happened? You're like, yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, we were clean. It was fine. That was a nice Louisiana cleanse. I'll oh never go gosh. back to New Orleans for that reason, though. All right. This is an interesting podcast. The it is. Well, story. but you know what it Are is? Are we ever going to talk about abortion? Yes, we'll talk about it. But I just want to, I, I want to have the last word so I can keep the patriarchy intact. Um, Fair enough. I just think it's normal for us to grope and to ask i mean it's we live in a crazy world it's crazy we are literally on a rock spinning around the sun flying through the universe the way we like food is weird our digestive system is weird going back to ibs how we create life is strange shakespeare's sonnets are mind-blowing you know what i mean it's just all very odd it's just strange so it if you're not wondering about this if you're not, no, you know, we all know seven-year-olds are dying today of cancer, right? Children are being trafficked. Uyghurs are in concentration camps. And I'm drinking a latte talking to my friend, you know. Then I'm going to go to the gym and get a smoothie. It's just not, it's just strange. And many of us maybe have survivor's guilt, like in the West. or You know, it's, we don't even want to think about it because in a way we are so blessed. So to think about it, it's very important, I don't know how people go through life and not think of these things constantly all day, every day. Um, but yeah. And I think the blessed Virgin Mary, why you're attracted to her, she's very interesting, right? The, the Catholic understanding of Mary, which I think is exactly the same as the Protestants. They just won't say it out loud. I mean, 
She was created by God out of all eternity. He thought of her and created her out of eternity. He didn't pick her. It wasn't like someone else laid out some women and said, okay, who will the second person of the Trinity become man through? Which birthing person? No, he created a woman out of eternity that he willed into existence, a creature, then became man, then his, raised him, breastfed him. And then he laid across her lap, who we believe is God, laid lifeless across the lap of his created mother. By the way, that's very weird. So it's, it's people go like, I don't, yeah, I don't believe that. I get it. I believe it 100%. But I get how people go, yeah, that, we're going to have to talk that one out, Jason. Wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. But uh, it is beautiful, though. Even if you don't believe it, the idea that a triune God created a woman to enter the world through to participate in the suffering of the human family to give them eternal life is really cool. And I hope it's true. I believe it's true. And of all religions in the world, it's the one I would want to be true. Um, but I can understand how you grow up with that um, and how the problem of pain confounds you. By the way, it's easy for me to say right now, and if my wife and kids got hit by a bus and they all died on the way home from the swimming pool today, uh, I might be in the same boat that you're in tomorrow, right? So um, we should think, I thank God for the grace to not have doubt. Um, not that it's really impacted my moral life at all. That's something a friend of mine told me a couple weeks ago. Our moral life and our spiritual life are two different things. We would like them to be the same. And then I read a quote from Rumi yesterday where Rumi said that he was, you know, a Sufi Muslim. He said that, uh, that our, our spiritual life is tempered in our moral life. And I guess the only way not to temper your spiritual life through your moral life is if you're in sinning or making all kinds of mistakes, just fleeing from God, which you have never done, even though you would say you're agnostic. I don't think there's been one instant where you stopped wrestling with the concept of how did we get here? Right? You never stopped. You never turned your back and walked away from, you, you lost your faith, but you haven't lost your relationship with the concept of a creator. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the curiosity is probably always going to be there until I die and find out or go into nothingness. We'll find out. You'll probably, so I just have to, I have to be patient, I guess, but I will say that that is one of the only justifications I found in my head is if I did believe that there was a God and you know, the work that I'm doing, I felt really good about and was like, Oh, I'm scoring heaven points for doing this. Like then would it really be selfless? Would it really be actually serving people because I feel called to do that, or do I have the opportunity? Because you know, <laughs> I almost said like Mother Teresa, but I am like I am so far below Mother Teresa. I'm not okay. Hold on, off. hold on a second. I, I got to put this in quotes. Up, I am just <laughs> like Mother Teresa. End quote. Destiny De La Rosa. Putting that on T-shirts. If I, if I like Mother Teresa. Am able to wow. you're that just it like your destiny. I remember she used to walk around going, I am just like St. Clair. That's what you meant. I mean, call me, call me if you ever have some maggots. That you need cleansed. But I, let me ask you this I question. Will, do you believe, do you believe, I don't believe any of the work I do is getting me any credit in heaven because I tell people, 
I don't do this through my choice. I feel like I was kicked into a river and I'm just yeah. being swept downstream. I'm not getting any credit yeah. for anything yeah. I have done. Or, in fact, I squander it. Like I feel God gives me so much grace that I just spill all over the sidewalk. And and if this were someone else, they'd be getting a lot more done. But see, uh, that's a very Catholic. That's a very Catholic belief that Protestants don't have this like offering up for intentions or whatever. And I think it's actually a really beautiful belief. And I've had that thought that okay, if there is any credit involved with anything, like I know exactly who it needs to like, like reconfigure that energy to this person who needs it more than I need it right now. Right. Like I've even my miracle that I asked for that, like proved to me something like I've got a really good friend who's struggling to the point where it's really bleak for them. And so I've kind of convinced myself maybe a miracle was on its way and I'd ask whatever this being is, go ahead and give it to them because I see that they need it more. So Maybe I've even been the one who's made the call to give away my miracles or give away like any of the good. Like, I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know how many people do stuff for heaven points, but I feel like growing up in the church, a lot of people do. And so when that's stripped away and you just have to do stuff because you can't not do stuff, I do think it changes the motivation. Yeah. And maybe it just appears that they're doing it for heaven points, right? Maybe they're just doing it more. I think when we think someone's doing something for heaven points, they're really just doing it for clout in their tribe maybe no because i think we all know i mean i hope god's not impressed (laughs) like he's you know i'm very happy with what happened today and i'm and and i i played a very little role in it our afghan partners and our donors pulled it off but uh yeah i don't think god's going i'm so proud of you jason he's like yeah okay you really (laughs) screwed that up it took you six months it should took me three weeks with all the grace i've given you (laughs) But whatever. <laughs> exactly. I feel that way constantly. <laughs> All right, let's move along. I'm sorry. I've, di- I've digressed. It's, we're an hour in, and, and now we'll get to what you want to talk about, Roe v. Wade. You said, I, I, okay, I want to have you on, and you're like, I, I don't think you do. And I said, there's things. Yeah, it's I, not what I want to talk about whatsoever, but, but let's do it. more what I was expecting we were going to talk to lure you in to cancel you. So, yeah, so where were you when you heard the news? Okay, I was in Hawaii, so it was crazy. I, my kids and I took this hike, literally a mile straight up this mountain. And the next day, I, um, while we were in Hawaii for my daughter's wedding, I woke up that Friday morning. Every day I was anticipating row overturning and setting my alarm for the time. But this is the day I thought it wasn't going to happen, so I didn't set no, my alarm. No, because it was going to happen Monday. Like right. was, This was the one day it wasn't going to happen. Well, the one day it wasn't going to happen, which was a good move by the court. That was a good juke. And uh, I turned on my phone, and I literally had several hundred text messages, which was quite beautiful. And I'm sure a lot of people are angry that I didn't, I didn't reply to their very thoughtful and beautiful notes. But um, my first thought when I saw this, bing, 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 was 9-11. I said, oh, no. What happened? Terrorism. And that was like for a second. And then that was immediately followed with, oh, Ro. You know, it was like terrorism, row overturned. And, uh, I, and of course it did. But do you know, I didn't feel any joy at all. Nothing. Yeah. My wife cried. She sat there in bed for hours crying. And she looked at me and she said, how come you don't have any emotions? Like you have, and she knows my, on our first date, I told her my plan. And I said, I got a 40 year plan. I'm 10 years into it. In 20 years, row will overturn. And in 30 years, We'll have a human life amendment, and this is what I'm committing my life to. And in my plan, it was 2022 row would overturn 2031. We would have a human life amendment. She's like, it's like happening, like you said, and why aren't you? And I, I don't know why. I felt nothing. But you know when I felt it? 
when I landed in Texas. And I think just kind of subconsciously, I didn't feel it because I knew it had no impact on Hawaii, which to me is my home. And it was just like, okay, ruck up. Now we have to move on to our state. But when I got to Texas to realize I lived in a polity where uh, the most vulnerable members of our family are being protected from violence, like I really felt it. And, uh, and, but that wasn't for two weeks until we got home. So yeah. you asked that question for a reason the, the, for the follow-up um, question. Well, because I think I'm being an activist for like 20 years now. I, I definitely, the progression of my activism has changed. And so I always thought I would celebrate the day that Joe got overturned, but I also always thought it was never going to happen. So I was at the National Right to Life Convention when the decision came down and it was just like cheering and people running out of the room and everyone just like hugging and crying and there was this happiness. And I was so overwhelmed by grief. I actually went up to my hotel room and I just sobbed, like sobbed. And I, I had a bunch of tentative interviews where they were like, the day the decision comes out, we're going to need you on the phone. Like we want to do these live interviews. And I could not even control my emotions. And by the way, I, I know this podcast so far, I've mentioned crying multiple times. Those are the three times I've ever cried in my life. Like I'm not a big crier. So it actually is a big deal. When, You're like, a horrible feminist. Were you that, crying on your Mike Wendell pillow? <laughs> that's what it was. Somebody out there is going to make a meme pillow. of you crying on a Mike Lindell pillow. <laughs> I, I definitely. But you were crying from grief. Like, Explain to me the grief. I don't get that. So the grief is, I feel like the more that I work with women in these situations and the more that I see the state of the systemic issues we have, this was such like a lipstick type move. This was a bandaid on a bullet hole type move. And it, in my mind, it's going to save a lot of politicians. I don't know that it's going to save a lot of children. And because I'm normally the Pollyanna and the person who can always find the pony, I I feel like I'm the bearer of bad news a lot in a lot of the interviews I'm having to do with people who are so excited about this and think it's wonderful, you know, that, oh, these babies are being saved. But, you know, I'm 38. I spend way too much time on Instagram. I, you know, within minutes, I'm seeing all the videos about ways to get abortion pills and who can pay for your abortion, who can fly you out of state, all the different funds they have set up. Like, don't worry, your abortion's not being taken away. And so I live in a very like practical world these days. And in my perfect pro-life feminist utopia, we would have truly smashed the patriarchy. We would have put the systems in place that make it equitable for women to participate in society so that abortion is unnecessary and unthinkable. We would have humanized the unborn child so well that nobody would even imagine doing this and then resource women so well that it's completely unnecessary. And so my phone also started blowing up. but. It was all of my friends in the middle, like people who have never talked to me about abortion. One of them is a family member, the family I married into, right? So I've known this person 17 years. They have never talked to me about abortion. And I get this text and it's like, so, you know, vaginas are more regulated than guns now. And I was just like, first of all, don't come at me with some BS, like pro-choice 101 meme that you just saw on the internet. Like, let's have a real conversation about human No, abortionists' knives. Change. Abortionists' it's, knives are more regulated than are guns. More regulated. And by the way, uh, the Second Amendment is in the Constitution, not dismembering children. And if you want that dismembering children in the Constitution, there's a process for you to make that happen. Get to it, kiddo. And anyway. also, 
vaginas what like no we're talking about unborn children in wombs like you didn't even get the anatomy right i don't care what anyone does with their vagina go get a pack of ping pong balls i don't care what you do with your vagina never have never will this is literally about the human dignity of an unborn person and the bodily autonomy is being shared right i believe in bodily autonomy so much i believe it should begin the moment your body begins you should be protected from violence but it is a unique situation inside of a woman's body so we now have shared autonomy happening and we have some obligation to protect that life. But, you know, the trigger laws all went into effect right after that. It was like playing catch up on which states have which laws, misinformation going around the internet, everybody, you know, making this look horrific. I knew, I was, I called this for years, I've been saying that if anything like this happens, what we're gonna see is the most horrific heart-wrenching headlines, like the 10-year-old child in Ohio, which is like, so devastating and horrific, but we are going to continue seeing things like this, which pro-lifers will come out and say that is one of the exceptions. It's life. Well, no, I would go back though. Can we press pause on that? I don't want to let that slide by. It's just like the young woman that got pregnant that you talked about in this very sad story that the rape ended so many times. I have a friend who her, her stepfather was raping her when she was 13. She got pregnant and she was so excited because she thought now that the raping will end. And instead he took her to Planned Parenthood after hours uh, screaming, kicking, and screaming, and she had a forced abortion, and the rape, raping continued. Yeah. So it's you know, yeah. it's protecting predators my- love predators love yeah, abortion absolutely. Like it hides their crime, allows them to keep. Um, there, there are so many case studies on this where girls will you know finally be out of these situations, whether it's being trafficked or in such situations, and they will say, "I've had five, six, seven abortions." Nobody ever helped me, you know. And sometimes they even told the people at the abortion facility, like. This is what's happening. <clears throat> so I totally agree. I totally agree. But at the same time, even within the case of the 10-year-old child, like, I do believe that the exception did apply to her in that case. And But what we're going to see is these states with very stringent abortion laws or the ones that are pushing to criminalize women, all of these things. Like, I'm at the point where I'm so disillusioned. Like, are all politicians actually pro-choice and they are just racing to get abortions codified? Like, is that what we're It's not happening, though. Can I give you the good news, Destiny? I'm about to blow your mind. How thing, And it's already happening. And I said this the day, my first day of my 49 days of podcasts. The unexpected event, the unexpected consequences of Roe versus Wade overturning, abortion's never going to be codified, ever. Do you know, since Roe overturned, the dramatic swing... Latinos now overwhelmingly identify as Republican right now. It went from like 25% six years ago to 53% now. That's unbelievable. And a huge swing happened after Roe because, and David French, who I'm not a fan of, uh, just wrote an article. I love him. I know you do, but did you see his new article on how blacks and Latinos are swinging to the Republican Party because of the obsession with abortion and godlessness of the left, of the white left? He goes, the only people now that are godless and advocating abortion are college-educated, affluent white people. And what's I'm writing an article on this. And do you know why those people identify as Democrats? We did polling on this with Kellyanne Conway. We hired her 20 years ago. We interviewed this group, this affluent college-age white people. Do you know the number one reason they said they identified as pro-choice? No. They didn't want to be perceived as racist. And they had this preconception that pro-lifers no. were racist. When they wake up and realize the only people advocating their nonsense are other rich white people just like themselves, they're going to swing. So here's what I anticipate, which is you're, it's going to excite you, uh, I think. 
there is going to be an eruption of pro-life Democrats. So that's going to be the big thing. And then the other second big thing is going to, so we're going to have two pro-life parties in this country in the next 10 years, I guarantee it. Or you're just going to have one party or the Democrat party is going to cease to exist and it'll be a new party. Um, there was a poll done in, in Arizona at the wake of Roe of pro-choice women. And they said, yawn, we don't care. We're more worried about inflation. Um, then the second big thing, I, I said this immediately, but something my friend Bev told me today, we were talking right before we came on the show. Um, and I, we were talking about you. And then we were talking about um, Roe v. Wade and da 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 she said, Jason, do you know why I voted for George W. Bush? No, I'm sorry. Do you know why I supported the Iraq war? I said, no, why? She said, Roe v. Wade. I wanted to see Roe overturned. The other guy was pro-abortion. So I trusted. And, and, I, and, and when, when Bush came out and advocated for war in Iraq, I trusted him because he was right on life. So I predict that the end of the uni war party, it's coming to an end. The uni war party is over. Regime change wars, uh, you know, profiting off of countries like Afghanistan and Iraq by the uni war party. Those days are gone. Um, and, do you know, Texas Republicans approached me and we're hoping to roll out a moratorium on the death penalty in Texas next year. So I think it's going to hmm. unfold in ways that people don't expect. But the number one way is in the next, not this cycle as much, but in, in, in the, the cycle after this cycle you will see an eruption of pro-life Democrats and you will see the Democrat candidate for president because it won't be Joe Biden or Kamala, I promise you. And it won't be Gavin if they want to win. It'll be someone like John Bell Edwards of Louisiana who's pro-life. And, and I served with him in the army. This is what I predict. Um, yeah, I see this as the biggest liberator of Democrats. Most Democrats are pro-life, right? Um, I believe, outside of New England and California. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. I feel like we should wager a bet on what happens if I'm right and this leads to petition. I'm, I'm willing right. to bet anything. And so okay, so what's the bet? What what are we betting on specifically? And I'll, I'll do it here publicly. Okay, if I win, yes, we go back to the French Quarter, and you have to have three plates of that same shrimp. Done deal. Okay, I want to watch you be miserable in that. Okay, what do you get if you win? Oh wow, you have to wear a MAGA hat for 24 hours. Oh my God! I would decapitate myself. Oh, I mean, oh, and you, I would not be pro. You no, 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 no. You have to go to Walmart in a mega hat, <laughs> and you have to buy. You have to buy twenty four. You have to buy three cases of generic cola. <laughs> okay. All right. That sounds fine. Can I go to an HEB at least so I can get some Doctor B? You can go to HEB. Okay, so let me ask you a, a, a tough question. You know, I like to be honest on this, Jason Jones. I'm not talented or creative. I, all I have is like just sheer hard questions. I just have hard questions that no one else is going to ask you. Do you think maybe, and full disclosure, I did not endorse Trump in 2016. I was a cruise man myself, national co-chair of Cruise for President. Yeah, don't brag about that. Do you think maybe that what hurts is you really don't like Donald Trump at all, but this victory was delivered by Donald Trump? Do you think if this no, victory was delivered by like a, a nice like uh, no. a sweater vest wearing Republican, it'd be better, easier for you to tolerate? No, not at all. Because here's the thing: is that a fair I, question? Again, is that a fair question? That it's a, it's a totally fair question because someone messaged me the day it wrote and they were like, "You have to give it to Donald Trump," and I'm like, 
yeah, all credit goes to Donald Trump. He made this happen. I still think it's a shit show. I still think that if you were truly a pro-life politician in any state, like local level to federal, right? If you wanted to save women and children, you would have been implementing actual policies that did that. And we could have saved millions of children by now. And we haven't because this has always been about saving politicians, not children. It's always been about as long as the GOP has so many one issue book voters on abortion, we can't let abortion go anywhere. Just like the left, I think, has a lot of one issue voters. Right. No, but no, destiny. And so they're not going to they're not going to fix immigration like they have their things that they know get the voters out. And so they're not actually going to do anything that effectively changes it. It's just going to change laws and make people hysterical and keep people up in arms and voting for them to protect their precious laws. Laws were the lowest rung on the ladder of how we actually make an abortion-free society. And people are, you know, cheering and, oh, our work's done. Like No oh one said God, that. No. I have it's not heard so- a single person on earth say our work is done. Not one. In fact, the I mantra has been. for a lot of people, this is the thing they were working towards, and they finally got that. And this is like, this is the most superfluous part of a plan that actually creates an abortion-free no, that's society. That's not superfluous at all. I think that it's going to... Um, show the difference between red states and blue states and the kind of societies that live under different sorts of visions of the human person. Red states will flourish. Yeah, I'm I'm in a red state that you're in right now where we just had 19 children and two teachers killed in Uvalde. So like, and I think sorry, that there's a I connection a between... Well, you know what? I and I would say that the, the behavior of the government there that was supposed to protect those people failed. So this is where I... It's, it's frustrating with my friends like you, like... You think that those of us conservatives who don't look to the state to solve problems, but to the free institutions of civil society and to free people to work outside of government to solve problems, don't care about problems if we don't work with the government. But like, look no, at- No, but I think laws laws are handy, yes, when it comes to protecting the vulnerable, right? Like, yeah, so we want the laws to protect us from violence, but that doesn't mean I want to give them my money- no, but like, look, look, I look to the free, I would rather a crisis, private pri- crisis pregnancy centers serve vulnerable women than, um, which by the way, which is probably 90% of pro-life organizations in America are service organizations to pregnant women, 90%. I would bet 90% of our fundraising and money goes to serving those women through those pregnancy centers. Very few organizations are involved in politics. Um, they're the ones that have, you know, PR departments and go on the news, but they're, they're a small percentage of the money and they're a small percentage of, um, uh, of, of the organizations. And then an even smaller than political, I would say is cultural. There's not a lot of groups, like I would say you and I that are working to influence culture. Not a lot. So most of well, I would say that the, the agreed, there's a lot of service groups, but there are, you know, all these pregnancy centers that are being attacked. They're not a monolith like Planned Parenthood. So some are really good. Some are kind of shady. Some are some grandma's converted garage where she's going to throw holy water on you and tell you you're a murderer if you have an abortion. Like, they're not all the same. There's a sliding scale when it comes to that. But one of the things I have noticed is very few, and this is where we have to get up to snuff, actually can provide the services that vulnerable pregnant women need, right? Abortion vulnerable women. They, yes, diapers, wipes, cribs, car seats, that's all wonderful. But the top four things is going to be housing, childcare, transportation, and in rural areas, healthcare. Those are the top four priorities. And we don't have the infrastructure set up to provide those services right now. And so 
either the service side steps it up and figures out. I don't think that's a fair question. I mean, I do maybe 50 pregnancy center events a year and groups like aid for women in Chicago. There, there are some organizations around that are unbelievably comprehensive in the aid and care that they, they provide. And by the way, if if we would grow that model to be a hundred percent, a woman call me who is in, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she's about to be kicked out or she's leaving a domestic abuse relationship and she doesn't know that she wants to have an abortion, but she doesn't know what else she's going to do. Like, I have to get a roof over her head that night. And I struggle a lot to actually be able to find those type of resources. Like, yes, I can get her maternity clothes and cribs and car seats, but when it comes to the big ticket items, I really struggle to find that. And so the the thing that I've been pushing on New Way Feminist is pro-life people. Now is your time where this is stuff we should have been laying the infrastructure for for the last 49 years. We are unprepared. And so look at the excess in your own life. What does that look like? Is it an extra room in your house? Is it an extra car you were going to sell, but now you could, you know, donate to a pregnant woman? Is it um, time, but that's what these time preg- to help people? But Destiny, that's my experience. The- Maybe I'm just always seeing the pony, but I leverage the pro-life movement for everything. Like it's, to be fair, I don't want to get anyone upset at me. But I leverage the pro-life movement not just for the preborn child, but to get women out of prison in the United States or to move them across borders on the other side of the world or to deliver insulin across Ukraine. Um, I'm leveraging the pro-life movement to do all of that. And I have never found a problem that I couldn't solve through my friends in the pro-life movement. I, I It's not easy, right? I mean, I'm inundated and overwhelmed and oftentimes, you know, pet, you know what's the word I'm looking for? I'm paralyzed by um, all of the work that we need to do and all the requests for help. But man, I just find how that our many, movement is so generous and there's no, I get calls all the time. People, how many lay people can access the network you have of call this person, do this, somebody will fund, you know, a couple months rent. We'll, we'll walk alongside you. We'll do stuff like this. Like there's not enough organizations doing that type These of local work. Pregnancy so, yeah, centers when someone, do that though, right? If you, by the way, the mainstream media hides them from some, people and slanders them. Uh, if if we celebrated these, uh, we did a movie called Crescendo. We raised $6 million for pregnancy centers. And uh, Patty Millette, Justin Bieber's mom, name drop, uh, our executive producer, went on The View. And even even uh, Whoopi Goldberg said, I love what you guys are doing. And now she's changed her tune on these pregnancy centers. She's like, I didn't even know these things existed. And I meet people who claim to be pro-life. They vote Republican. They vote pro-life. They did not even know that these existed. So it is, it is, and, but it costs money to break through and have advertising well, and make sure people and in the offer, community know. offer full-scale medical service because that's what Planned Parenthood's doing. They don't just care about a woman when she's a child. They care about her, you what? know, full health outside of it, right? When? Not prenatal health in any when? way. But I'm saying they're doing cervical exams, STD screening. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Haven't you things. seen the undercover and, videos where people go and ask for that and they shoo them away? I mean, I have the actual friends who go there and get that. Why are they closing their, why are they now Carol Everett who ran a large abortion clinic said they did STD testing and gave out contraception so that they could use that to lure them in because their business model was abortion. So yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent and fungibility, right? So like when they're talking about, Oh, it's only 3% of our services, but it makes up a huge, why are they closing? You know, if if 97% of their business is all this other stuff, why are they closing as soon as abortions were removed as an option? Because that stuff is cheap, right? It doesn't keep the lights on. So as soon as abortion's taken away, they can't fund 
you know, keeping these centers open. So that's what I'm so saying. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're providing – it's like saying, well, you know, the guy that lured the little girl in his white van with the Snickers bar. I mean, he did give her a Snickers bar. I mean, no, his job was to, to violate that girl. And Planned okay, Parenthood's so goal is to violate that, girls. But why don't we look at that model and say, okay, it, it was a pretty – smart concept get women in the door by offering these other services why aren't we doing that same thing why aren't well, they familiar with us and know exactly where we are and know a lot the of them do offer std testing women's healthcare. a lot of them do offer i i think by the way uh well many reasons right like obviously planned parenthood is massively federally funded and making money off of abortion and still closing their abortion clinics in communities where they can't kill babies so, right, so it's almost like that federal funding is not enough to cover the actual expense. And so, again, if we're well, they're a bloated organization model, where they have employees that make more than our entire organization's cost per year to run. Right. Right. I agree. But I'm saying so if we are expecting pregnancy centers to pick up this slack and become health care for women, then there is a lot of work to be done in that area to provide actual health care, not just because, again, we're, we're saying we care about you. But don't, don't like the Stanton centers. And... William, but here's what you have to know: a lot of these groups are run. They're run by just volunteers with money. Like it's just, you know these. We have to acknowledge these pregnancy centers are absolutely amazing, right? Like I just yeah, am, am and the volunteers awe. are the most selfless, wonderful people, and that's yeah. These these pregnancy centers are boots on the ground, and they know better than anyone how hard it is to have to tell a woman, "I don't, I don't know about housing. I don't know." They would give that to anybody if they were resourced well and actually could do it. A lot it. of these do so provide housing, I though. They, I remember when our Crescendo event, two of our events, people donated houses to pregnancy centers for women's maternity homes. Um, but I agree with you. Look, I look. there's there's not a pro-life movement like, like that convenes at a convention every year, and, you know, we take top-down orders. There's There's tens of thousands of organizations, most of them pregnancy centers, they have their mission so statement just, to do their job in their community. Yeah. So, but I and don't believe that Planned Parenthood is providing any real out. care to women anywhere. And that I, I mean, I don't know. I am a godless student, so I guess I know the people who actually have gone there for health care, and they're terrified because they don't know where they're going to. What, what health care would they get at Planned Parenthood? A well, woman exams. Their annual exams where can i go to, to out, okay i've got in texas cells. there's these little private medical centers every 10 feet in texas so what we had because under governor uh perry they decided to stop take federal they wouldn't take federal funding if it had to go to Planned Parenthood, and so they created the healthy texas women's program which basically is a medicaid type thing but it's going to take six months to get into places. You have to find doctors who aren't full up. Like they have a certain quota of people that they take from this. Like from what I have heard from my friends who tried to access it, it's actually incredibly kind of complicated to do. So if you have a woman who wakes up and is in horrific pain and it's, you know, a fibroid or endometriosis or something like that, like it's not equitable to what Planned Parenthood would have offered her. And I think that that's where, unless, you do have a female reproductive system like and have dealt with stuff like that. You don't realize how terrifying it is. And so a lot of the people making laws, unfortunately, have not had that experience. They don't have that empathy towards it. So they don't realize the places that we need to be resourcing. But it has to go beyond just pregnancy. It has to actually help women. And that's why I'm saying when we are talking about just this law being overturned, like it's bigger than that. It is systemic change. It's creating a society where women can actually function in it as equals to males where we're not penalized for our fertility, right? Like these are huge systemic changes that 
I get so frustrated because the pro-life movement's like you, you know, oh, patriarchy's great. And then the feminist movement <laughs> on the other side is like, oh, smash the patriarchy by letting me go topless places. Like, F everybody. <laughs> like, when I'm talking about patriarchy, I'm talking about a world that was built by men for men that was not designed for females. And there's so much that's just invisible people don't realize. And it is going to be the work of our lives. This is going to take everybody on both sides, all religious people and non-religious people together. Like no one sex is going to be able to totally refurbish society and make it equitable for women. And that's what I want to do. So for me, overturning Roe is small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. This is the big work that we have to do. Well, this is where I would agree with you. I, I, I wrote an article where I compared it to Dunkirk. Um, Father Pavone said it was as if the Supreme Court opened a door now we have to walk through that door. It's nothing but opening a door. And I, I like that. You know, it's definitely not uh, VE Day, right? It's not Victory Europe Day. It's not VJ Day. It's not, the war is not um, over, but it's just very, It's just beginning. It's the first small, modest step into a culture of life, but it's a big step. And I would want people, like if you're a coach and your team wins a game that gets them into the playoffs, you don't go, you shouldn't celebrate. No, celebrate. You made it to the playoffs. Good for you. But, you know, we still have two more games in the Super Bowl ahead of us. So I, I just see it as we should allow people to feel moments of excitement. And and that's what gives them the morale to continue on, right? Like you want them to feel that they've accomplished something great, which it took us a long time to do. And you're right. I want to go back to what you said about the GOP. I mean, I had to fight hard within the GOP. I mean, there are stories about things I have done inside the GOP that they're all true, really. Um, in my campaign to uh, like destroy, like target um, political consultants who are pro-choice to make sure they never work in the GOP again, like hounding every candidate that ever hires them and destroy their campaign so that they never work again, things like that. So we destroyed the consultancy class that was pro, pro-abortion pro in the Republican Party so that we could um, handcuff politicians so they couldn't run unless they were hiring pro-life staff, so they had to be pro-life. I mean, it was a hard, long battle in the GOP and it was a fight, and it's still going to be a fight, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. The Republican establishment was utterly, just, just saw abortion as, as uh, an issue to motivate voters. They did not want to succeed. Um, just like the Democrats, uh, an Afghan who works for me recently messaged me, um, the Democrats don't like legal immigration. They want illegals they can exploit. And that's, I think, exactly right. right. That's the goal. The goal yep. is not to secure the border, not to have um, an easy verification system, not to have a path to citizenship, not to have dreamers taken care of. Um, maybe the dreamers is the political issue, but that's something we have to jujitsu around them. I think dreamers are somebody that we have to take care of them permanently for good soon. Um, but I think but we have really, a real chance. I think the dreamers will be problem. taken care of as a fruit of Roe v. Wade. I really do. I think this is so big. If we can get pro-life Democrats elected, we can start doing things like driving home uh, the dreamers. And um, we can do things like break the back. When my friend Bev said, Jason, I supported the Iraq war because I trusted Bush because he was right on abortion. That was huge. Millions of people voted, trusted George W. Bush on Iraq because of abortion, right? So now I, I think we're going to just see both parties liberated. And um, we'll see. I hope you're right. A Otherwise whole life you're movement. You're going to have the worst IBS of your life, and I can't wait for that. Day. I don't know what but I want more. Be very sad. I hope you're right. I hope. 
I, I want to regret having to go to H-E-B in an Aga hat and buy three cases of Dostoevsky. I don't know what's more I, exciting I to me. I want that to happen. What's exci- I don't know what's more exciting to me. You wearing a MAGA hat around HEB or a civilization of love? I don't know. They're both, I don't know which I'd prefer. I know. It's we're re- psychopaths. We it's win win. Like where we get, it's win win. We get something good, and instead we both chose like sadism for like. We our, both what? Chose what? I, sadism for our bets. Like we both were like, I'm going to do something terrible to you if I win. Yes. Like we're, we're bad human beings in general. We should have chosen rewards for the other one so that we could be happy no not at all no when you hear people i will get messages like this you're you don't take abortion serious or your issue serious because you know you seem to be having a you're smiling or happy i'm like what like i've been on battlefields making the worst unbelievable jokes you've heard in your life like if you're doing this for 30 years you've got to laugh you have to have fun right like are you kidding me Otherwise, we'll be those crazy people who are dressed as the Grim Reaper in front of an abortion clinic, like screaming at women. Like that's what people don't realize. You have. Hey, to how have did you know that was me? Joy. How did you know that was me? Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> they, it was too tall. I could tell by your shoes. Um, the costume. You saw the Hawaiian but, slippers. You saw the Scots, the black exactly. Scots slippers. <laughs> like. <laughs> so it's definitely something where it's like, in order to keep our sanity, I think we all have to have the most twisted, horrible sense of humor at this point, because the alternative is we just all go crazy. You know what I tell my staff? This is true. You can ask Marilis, the gang. I do this. I wake up. The first thing I do is I read something like theology. I read Plato. I read something that directs me to the transcendent. That's the first thing I do. Scripture, whatever. I, I read something that directs me toward the transcendent to start my day, and I ask my staff to do that, and then I and I say, this is for your sanity, and I tell them to put in their work day at least three days a week, but probably five, like I do, your hobby, and put it in the work day. Is it tennis? It's tennis. Is it gardening? Then put it in the work day. Noon, uh, you know, noon to one, I garden, and then block it and don't let anyone interrupt it, whatever it is, because we're doing this for the rest of our life. And it gets very dark and it can be very um, jarring. And so it's important that you start your day pointing to the transcendent that takes you out of the matrix of suffering, the Babylon system, to quote Bob Marley. And, and it takes you and points you towards Zion, to heaven, towards transcendence, to beauty. And then play, have a recess. You know, I, every day, I'll go to Muay Thai, da-da-da. And I do that and it makes me very happy and it's in the middle of my work day and it's blocked out, it's scheduled. I mean, if we don't do these things... We're going to become, we have friends, right, who've become very dark, unhappy people. Substance abuse. In the pro-life movement, all sorts of, uh, they, they get, they, because they become broken, uh, when you deal with these harsh things, um, like your, um, your friend that you work with at the border, she seems very, always joyful, but the work that you guys are doing is very sorrowful. We put a lot of, like, RuPaul's Drag Race in our normal, everyday schedule. You put a lot of what now? RuPaul's Drag Race. We're currently all binging it. Uh, and Wait, I, I don't, I don't understand what you said. Say it again. RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul's, RuPaul's Drag Race. Have you... Shut up. You know exactly Oh, RuPaul, the, the dude. Or the... Am I allowed? Whatever. <laughs> God. Yeah, no, he's 100% a dude who dresses so, like a lady. So we call him a dude. Okay, like so lady. RuPaul. Yeah, no. I don't know he's what drag dude. race is. I don't know what the RuPaul drag race is. I can guess. It's, it's a contest. It's a contest of drag queens, and it's hilarious and delightful. 
and it's my sanity right now. So I finished. Do they literally where, race? Do they? I would love it. Do they do relay races? Do they race cars? The bicycles? Um, no, but he does the whole catchphrases like "Gentlemen, start your engines, may the best woman win," because you're becoming, you're dressing as a woman and changing, and it's brilliant. And he's he's absolutely brilliant. And so, uh, yeah, my whole board right now, we're getting one of his catchphrases is "You have to bring your charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent." And we realize that four of our board members have like one of these things that's really their thing. So we're going to get that tattooed. I'm getting uniqueness. Uh, and they're getting the rest. And if you pay close attention to what each letter starts with, it's a hilarious little Easter egg of a joke. So anyway, we, uh, yeah, that's, that's what keeps us sane at the current moment because I feel like I, I, like I said, I spend this time doing these interviews and kind of, it's so out of my comfort zone right now because I have been a common ground person and bringing people from the pro-life and pro-choice side and how can we work together and what can we do? And after Roe, it felt like the complete, like the middle ground people were pushed to an extreme and a lot of them went to the pro-abortion extreme and so for me it felt really devastating and I felt the fear of all these women who are really terrified and that's why I went up to my room and just cried and cried because it's like were you also maybe crying I mean it is it is the social unrest and the division in the country that came around the success probably caused you a little heartache too right even though it felt like an well, it just felt like in a moment, the work that I'd been doing was just obliterated. Like, like I said, it that felt like the no common ground to totally disappeared and people went to these extremes. And Charlie Kamisi actually said, he made a really good point. I was on a panel with him the following week and he said, there was like a pro-life 1.0, which was actually very liberal back in the 60s and 70s. Yes. And people That's would go exactly to anti-Vietnam right. marches. The Black Panthers and anti Black it was, it was It was the Black Panthers. It was anti-nuclear weapons activists, anti-Vietnam yep, activists. Yep. That was the beginning of the pro-life movement, 100%. And so he's like, and then we got into pro-life 2.0, which was a very conservative type thing. And he said, and so to your point about this is going to be this, you know, proliferation of pro-life Democrats, he said that's what he thinks pro-life 3.0 is going to be like. 100%. So you should be happy about like new this. New Wave feminists. Are gonna, and, and it was encouraging. And again, I hope he's right. We can make Tony Trump with you if he's right. Um, it's something we're... It's like, I hope that that's the case because I just feel a lot of just darkness and sadness right now. And I make it, it the case, like suddenly make it the all case, the right? That Who's in a better position to make and, it the case than you? Like, let's make now I'm a conservative Republican, anti-war conservative Republican, grounded in conservatism, rooted in the Anglo-American political tradition. Uh, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And I will work where I work, but we work well together. Right. So. I would. I want to see a whole life pro life Democrat party, and we can argue over the role the state and federal government plays in authentically caring for people. You'll want a larger role. I want a smaller role, but we'll both agree that elements in our society should be caring for these people, and that'll be a and great maybe, debate to maybe have. Maybe it's a. It's just a matter of letting people kind of like the shock waves wear off, and then they'll come around and say, "Okay, if this is the law of the land." here's how we're going to work towards a more equitable society. Like that's my hope that that's what happens, that everything's such a fever pitch right now. The day after row, conservative Republicans in Texas and elected office called me. I'm in Hawaii and said, now's our chance to over uh, to get a moratorium on the death penalty in Texas. I mean, that's exciting stuff to me. I just, I don't know. I hope that they have the incentive to actually do something because I feel like a lot of voters who are pro-life, when they're alone, you know, with that ballot box, computer, Scantron thing, whatever, 
are they going to want to pay more taxes? Are they actually going to want to put their beliefs into creating this society? And here's the thing. I don't want to pay more taxes. This is, and exactly, and this is what I'm saying. I say that as somebody who at this point is an anarchist. I feel like the government just destroys everything it touches. But I also They did a great job in Afghanistan, Iraq. They're they're really helping the Ukrainian girls out. I just, I don't know how as disjointed when it comes to systemic change as our movement is, like how we are going to be the ones to provide it. So part of me is like, I hope, I hope some policies get passed and we have, you know, paid family leave and housing and things like this for women extended Medicaid. Like I, I hope, but I'm not trusting in that. I've always been the person who said, you know, the government's not going to save us. We have to save ourselves. Right. So I don't see like, I don't want to argue about paid family leave, which I can, I don't think the government should be mandating, but like, look at someone like me this week, this week I had to call my staff. They're great. I said, guys, I dumped the entire reserve fund of our, they know our reserve fund was blown through. And then I had like six months of payroll. I blew, I had to ask my staff. I said, we got to finish the school, the cameras in the schools. We have to finish the women's medical clinic. We have this big movement of um, a high risk refugee and we fell short in our fundraising. May I dump next week's, next month's payroll into projects so we can fund this. And you know, I think I'll catch up and definitely my staff will get paid. I might not get paid next month, but I would, you know, it's not that I don't care. It's just, I don't trust these babaloos with my money. I don't want the government officials. I don't trust them. Like what are they doing in Afghanistan? They didn't do anything. I'm doing it. Where's the federal government? So much of it's so hands off, right? So they don't have the relationship with the people. And I don't know that you can truly like love people and care for them without understanding their plight and in different communities it's going to be different and so i do think boots on the ground is it's like actual people in the community being entrusted to create these systems is the number one way in pro-life and this utopia this works and i agree my favorite thing about my board is i call them and i say can i bankrupt you with them and they say yes every single time and so when we have like no money but have to pay a medical bill for a mom you know in uganda that's eight hundred dollars which we did yesterday I was just like, hey, can can we do and they're yeah, bankrupt us. And then the running joke is when we have two hundred dollars in our bank account, um, well cool, I guess we all get to quit pro life feminist thing, like that's nice. And then some jerk will give us ten thousand dollars and I'm like, damn it, I guess we have to keep pro life feminist thing. Because it always does seem to happen. Like it it shows up so we can provide and this system works well, right? For all nonprofits. The problem is people don't always know who to contact or people need, you know, $10,000 worth of help, which my organization is just not able to do. And so I think that's where it gets really hard is lay people who are just trying to love the person in front of them, which I think is all we can do because we all have some excess in our lives that we can give towards, whether it's time, money, you know, material possessions. We all have something in our life that's excess that we can donate towards the cause and truly being pro-life and making that like a actual verb which i think is very important i just don't know that it's well structured enough to do that and so that that's what concerns me is what is this going to look like and again i hope that your prophecy is right and it becomes a mixture of you know whether it's government at least protecting things or enacting policies that would be helpful and lay people boots on the ground organizations coming together to create this unified system where when I have the woman in Philadelphia call me, I know exactly where to send her. I know exactly what resources to get her. Like, I think we have to. We have to. Like, it's not optional anymore now. But we as Americans do this. You know, de Tocqueville 
and, and democracy in America said the amazing thing about Americans is they don't look to government for solutions. When they see a problem in their community, they organize privately and try to fix it. And now we're not utopians. You may be. I think you do have a utopian impulse. But, you know, it's not, it's never going to, we're never going to get to a culture of life, right? You're not, it's like getting to a rainbow. It's always a work in progress. There's always, look, I think the problems coming down the pipe are so big that we're not even thinking about it. Number one is going to be the, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. I think the biggest challenge of the 21st century is going to be transhumanism and the radical inequality in lifespans. Um, that might sound nutty to people, but I think we're going to see the wealthy and the powerful and those in the West um, live 120, 130 like they're 40-year-olds. And, you know, the poor and the rest of the world are going to live their, their lives. And uh, your ability to amass wealth and power over with all those extra lives, I mean, those years, it's... So I'm, I know I'm losing a lot of people, but we got a lot of challenges. There's always things around the horizon that we can't think of that challenge the culture and society. You know um, what I think the biggest challenge is today? Can you guess what it is? Uh, can I? I don't want to guess what you're going to say. It'll make you. I don't. I don't know. Give me the. Give me the woke. I think it's. I think it's one of your listeners trying to listen to a one hour and forty minute long podcast where you and I just basically have one of our normal phone conversations and argue. Yeah. And well, so can I tell you a secret? <laughs> We know 80% of the audience listens, finishes the podcast, regardless of the length of the Jason Jones show. That's what has emboldened well, me. No, they don't we listen. owe everyone an apology. This has gone on far too long. Right, well, we'll wrap it up. How do, what do you want to end it with, Destiny <laughs> Delarosa? Well, now we'll end it. By the way, I don't, I don't mind if I live in a patriarchy. I don't mind if I live in a matriarchy. I'm fine with that. So we'll give you the matriarchal moment. So you get to end the show before I sell more pillows and magazines and I'm more egalitarian. Um, but I just think to end the show that we should mention your IBS one more time. That's how you keep your girlish <laughs> figure. And so you're ruining the curve because of this beauty standard that you've imparted on the world when really it's because you're on the toilet like 12 hours a day. No, I've cured my IBS. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I should share this with people. I'm telling you now, CBD. Bam. There you go, people of the earth. They can be your next sponsor. I should get a CBD else. sponsor. I would love a CBD sponsor. And it goes great with pillows because it helps you relax. CBD so pillows like and typical. epic times. Yes, exactly. So all I right, hope you're talking to you for the day. Thanks for you, having all me. All right. Hey, podcast. look more for donkeys. I mean, not donkeys, uh, <laughs> uh, ponies. 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 Will do. Yeah, there's ponies everywhere. Everywhere. There are unicorns everywhere. Sure. You have a picture of me in a unicorn outfit that you blackmail me with. This is true. We have so many good pictures. That should be the thumbnail. Not the stupid Jason Jones podcast thing. It should be the picture of you with your tooth missing where I'm smiling with you. That's I mean, in the era of Hunter Biden, there's just nothing you can share of me that's <laughs> going to capture anyone's attention. Me toothless, me dressed as a furry unicorn. Very true. That's about as good as it gets. Me running down the street in Louisiana. As good as it gets. <laughs> in your pants. All right, Destiny, how, uh, what, what can people help you with? Where should they go? Uh, new Wave Feminist, plural, because it's more than just me, dot com. Uh, you can follow kind of what we're doing. But honestly, I'm calling people, don't donate to us right now. Donate to your local domestic abuse shelters, uh, maternity homes, food pantries, stuff like that. That's where the need is. Donate local. And volunteer local. Get engaged. And volunteer local. Because yep. that's where you'll see the face of Jesus. Right there. 
right there. All right, cool, Destiny, cool. there's my polling shot. All right. Thank you very much. I'm going to sell pillows. <laughs> All right, bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, everyone, Destiny De La Rosa, newwayfeminists.org, plural. I'm going to put it in the show notes just in case I got that wrong. And, um, man, I love that interview. I might break it up into two. In the future, I might take the second part and do it as its own show. But right now, I'm going to leave it up as it is. But I just, I, I really hope, I mean, you made it here. I, I hope a lot of you made I hope 80% of you at least made it this far. And uh, who allowed us to do this show, of course, is Epic Times. Go to I read epoch.com I'm sorry I I yeah I read epoch.com stay informed stay free get the real news other media outlets don't report it is my it's the first place I go every morning for a dollar you get a one month subscription with the code Jason Jones you can get a year subscription for only $77 so go to I read epoch.com get that subscription also my pillow.com use the code Jones for deep discounts and as always this episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. As you heard me say there, kind of off the cuff, we have been overwhelmed with um, opportunities to support vulnerable people in Afghanistan and in Ukraine, and uh, we are overwhelmed. There's a lot more to be done in Ukraine. Um, we're desperate there. But in Afghanistan, we had to partner with another organization to pick up 250 more migrants that were let out into the street by a nonprofit that ran out of money, and we have to care for them. That's a big cost. We're continuing to install cameras in schools, uh, and um, we're not going to stop that project. Our goal is to make sure that every school in Afghanistan has cameras and security guards to protect them from terrorists, as you've been seeing in the news. Uh, ter uh, terrorists have been targeting these schools. And a lot of people are like, Jason, how, why are you still in Afghanistan? I'll tell you why. Because 90% of the um, Afghans that were promised by the United States that they would be brought to this country or other countries for safety because they served along us uh, were abandoned. I believed when I was in the infantry and I said, duty, honor, country, death before dishonor, I believed it. When I said the Ranger Creed and I said, never shall I leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy, I believed it. And these Afghans were our comrades. This is about our national honor, to be honest with you. The Vulnerable People Project advocates for vulnerable communities around the world. But why is Afghanistan so specifically important to me? It is because it is about our national honor. And what the Biden administration did was the most undignified um, action in the history of this political, of our, our country. And, we, you know, they had competition. Uh, of course, Obama with ISIS and his drone program, whacking children around the world. He had a lot of competition. But this catastrophe in Afghanistan is a great shame. We are the only aid organ Western organization still on the ground. We are going to rescue those SIVs. They keep their hearts beating. We will get them out one at a time. We won't quit. Could take years. Also, we owe it to them. While they're stuck in Afghanistan, these minority communities, these SIVs, we're going to make sure that they live. We're going to help them keep that heart beating. And it is a great struggle, but we can only do it with your support. So go to thegreatcampaign.org, your best time one-time gift. And your monthly donor. We actually right now have a, a $15,000 matching grant going. Um, and that will help us finish the schools and finish our first medical clinic. All right. That was a long closing. Until next time. By next time, I mean tomorrow. Jason Jones Show. Aloha. This has been the Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media. Jason Jones Show.